Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's May 2nd, 1922, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Given we humans can see shapes in clouds and a man in the moon, it's unsurprising that throughout history we've also tended to see patterns in the stars. A scorpion here, a lion over there, and that one that looks like a chemical furnace? Yep, that's a chemical furnace. More (laughs) on that later. But it was today in history in 1922 that scientists from around the world agreed on a definitive and universal list of 88 constellations, which up until then had been an astronomical free-for-all. It's weird, isn't it, that you can make a definitive list and just say that with a straight face. I mean, it was weird in 1922, (laughs) it's weird now. Just because some men, basically 83 old white men, turned up in a room in Italy and was like, we've decided. That doesn't mean that you can't look out a telescope and say that a constellation looks like something else. Um, (laughs) But they said it with a lot of power and sway because they were the International Astronomical Union, founded in 1919, but still extant today. Yeah, it's now based in Paris. It was founded in Brussels. The General Assembly meets every three years, as it did on this day for the first time. The next one, if you're interested, Cape Town 2024. You know, get it down in the diary. (laughs) How much does a hotel room go for? at the International Astronomical <laughs> Union Conference. Is it like Eurovision? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the ones with skylights must be particularly valued. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the important thing about this, though, is that although we hear constellation and we think shape, the 88 constellations that were recognised on this day are actually ways of parceling up the entire sky. There can be multiple asterisms in one constellation. So, you know, the one that's got you, you did Capricorn in it may also have other star shapes. And this makes sense because, obviously, different cultures through history have joined those stars up in a different way. There's no one obvious mm. way to do it. There are shapes that are very common in many cultures. For instance, you Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. It's called the dog star in English and in several other languages too. But in Korean and Chinese culture, it was called the wolf star. So there are certain things that different cultures do seem to join up on. But you can really, you know, you can link those dots up any way you want to if you've got enough imagination. There was another reason that this event was significant which is that the King of Italy was there, so that gave it a certain gravity, obviously, but also the head of the Vatican Observatory, which was apparently the first visit of a cardinal to Rome since 1870, which I find astonishingly hard to believe. I mean, surely they pop over when they run out of milk or something. They're right (laughs) next to it. But maybe first official visit, I don't know. The sky was something that uh, the Catholic Church and the uh, capitals could agree on. And the thing was that in the 19th century, astronomers really had this great deal of liberty to just invent whatever constellations they wanted. And often that obviously resulted in them tending to, you know, name constellations to please patrons or monarchs. Um, But simultaneously, you know, this was a period of great scientific advance. And there were lots of uh, new techniques that were leading to great transformations about the heavens themselves. And, you know, 
know, new stars and their qualities were being discovered and astrophysics continued to advance. And consequently, scientists needed a system to be able to talk to each other about the particular point in the sky that they were talking about when they observed X or Y or Z phenomenon. So, you know, this was a way of codifying not just the little shapes that we were looking at, but what zone of the sky that represented and how we could talk about that in a sensical way. Well, of course, the issue of scientists travelling across the world and talking to each other at all had only been present for, you know, four or five decades anyway, right? So, like, before this, and obviously, anciently, you had the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Chinese, and it didn't matter that their uh, names for different constellations and stars and things that they'd noticed didn't collaborate with each other because they literally didn't collaborate with each other. And they had different... Mm like religious interpretations of what they were seeing as well. For the Chinese, the heavens were a mirror of the earth. The, the different stars represented different regions of China. But within mm. that, you know, for example, they made the earliest known records of Halley's Comet in 240 BC and of a supernova in 1054. Um, so there'd wow. been a lot of work, clearly, <laughs> in the past. Yeah. But this was just before all that Second World War technology would come along and make this preliminary work really important because there was technology developed for the military that became technology that hobbyists and scientists would use, like radar, that would accelerate mm. all of this to such an extent that it, was, it turned out to have been really important that these ground rules had been laid. And I think what's remarkable is that of this list of 88 constellations that were agreed on this day, the ancient Greeks had actually managed to identify most of them already. Uh, Ptolemy, yeah. who was an ethnic Greek living in Egypt when it was a Roman province in the second century. Triple threat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just means that all of those ancient cultures were able to claim him as their own. Uh, he wrote a treatise that would come to be known as the Almagest, which represents basically the sum of ancient astronomy. He was building on everything that had done, been done before by the ancient Babylonians, by the ancient Greeks. It includes lots of stuff. The movements of the five known planets of that point, the ones that are visible to the naked eye, as well as the sun and the moon. It talks about eclipses and it catalogues a total of 1,022 individual stars. And he ascribes most of them to one of 48 constellations. Keep in mind that the southern hemisphere had not been explored by the ancient Greeks at this point. So, you know, ruling out all of the constellations in the southern hemisphere, he pretty much nailed all of the ones that would later be agreed on this day. You know, his conception of the universe, understandably, given the era and the technology available, was not bang on. Uh, notably, he was an advocate of the geocentric model, where the Earth is at the centre of the universe, which remained accepted until Copernicus came along with his heliocentric theory in the 16th century. But he did manage to lay out a lot of these familiar ones, particularly the Western zodiac, which had been adopted by the Greeks. It's thought that it was a you know, Babylonian invention, you know, Scorpio, Cancer, etc. Well, the funny thing about then the list of 88 constellations that we end up with is that it's very much half Ptolemy and then half all of these things that are just kind of, well, either extrapolations of stuff that would have interested the Greeks or um, things that very much interested the people of the early 20th century. And so you had these things like the microscope and the swordfish and the compass, you know, alongside then Orion and Cassiopeia and so on. But then there were so many things that didn't quite make the cut that various astronomers had been trying to shoehorn into the skies for a while. There was a machina electra, the electric generator, mm -hmm. the officina typographica, the printing press, that was the brainchild of a German astronomer called Johann Bode. Don't feel too bad for 
him, even though that one didn't make the cut, he did get to name Uranus. So, uh, so that is a win. <laughs> and then just various other things that people had called the constellations over the years that just weren't necessary in this reimagining of the skies. Well, either weren't necessary or were too Teutonic. You mentioned there a German astronomer. Um, one of the things that this uh, astronomical union did on this first meeting was essentially cleanse their discipline of too many references to Germans, uh, such as the Anglo-German <laughs> astronomer William Herschel, who'd previously had two constellations named after him. Those got scrapped um, just because of the era. No one from Germany or any of its allies uh, was allowed to participate in this so-called international union. And that remained the case until after World War II. If you were a German astronomer, you had to really come up with something great <laughs> for them to pay attention. Well, I mean, if it wasn't for yeah. that anti-German sentiment, we could all be gazing up into the night sky looking for Gottfried Kirsch's 1684 discovery, the crossed swords of the electorate of Saxony. You can see why they wanted to take some out because some of them were genuinely taking the piss because they were really using the night sky to stake a kind of political or national flag. Of the mm, ones that didn't mm-hmm. make the cut, some of these I think we should probably Hitler the glorious. <laughs> They're very much more wholesome than that, Dolly. Yeah. You've got Buffo the toad, uh, Tarandus uh-huh. the reindeer, Lumbricus the earthworm, <laughs> Limus the slug, which I think handy for unclear shapes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Phenocopterus the flamingo is certainly the one that we're missing the most. But my absolute favourite is... Felis the cat, and it's the reason why, which is that the French astronomer who identified it in 1799, he loved cats and he chose the name because he thought there should be a cat. He wrote in a letter, I have inserted between the ship and the cub a new constellation, a cat. I greatly love these animals. I will have it engraved on the charts. The starry sky has tired me enough in my life that now I can have my fun with it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's sweet, but you're wrong. The best old constellation no longer used is Antinous, the boy lover of the Roman Emperor Hadrian. <laughs> the Try most problematic the constellation. <laughs> Tomorrow. There's nothing the matter with any of these stars that a good picture won't cure. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.